name of Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek this same harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord, because as we believe, they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. First of all, I want to apologize. I am recovering from a cold. I feel great. I'm working out. I'm doing all that, but I sound like I'm a mess. So just bear with me today with our guest. He will take the run. Uh, he'll run with everything today with his good voice today. But thank you for joining us because today we will end our study of the small catechism. And next week, we will go to the beginning of the reader's editions reader's edition of the book of concord the lutheran confessions we will start at the very beginning of how did the book of concord come together but today we go to section four a part that many people don't even know is in the small catechism yep it is the christian questions with their answers these questions were prepared by martin luther himself for those who wanted to receive the sacrament of the altar as we go through them today i want to remind you it's not only for those 8th graders or 5th graders who are about to receive the Lord's Supper for the first time, but I realize these questions are good for me every single day, especially before I go to receive the body and blood of Christ. So be aware of that, but also we open up our catechisms, open up your Bible, and we see Christ. So let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ today, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Executive Director of Lutheran Association of Missionary Pilots, uh, or otherwise known as LAMP Ministry. Pastor Shave, welcome to Concord Matters. Hey, thanks for having me, Brady, and welcome to sinus season. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> it is one of those deals where it hits you right when, you know, right before, right before it is. But uh, Pastor, I just said, well, even with a cold, it was a mouthful of words describing of what you are executive director of. Can you tell us more about LAMP? Yeah, so uh, excited to be working with LAMP. It's an organization that's been around since 1970. Uh, so unfortunately, during 2020 is when we hit our 50th anniversary. And uh, didn't get to celebrate as much as we would like, but uh, we are going big for our 55th anniversary. Uh, we want to serve in 55 communities by our 55th anniversary in 2025. And what do we do as a multicultural ministry? We serve in northern Canada to the indigenous populations. And again, been doing it for, for years. But the reason that you mentioned missionaries and pilots is because the places that we go to, you don't just drive into. Uh, they are extremely remote, and from our uh, beginnings, we've needed to use planes for our missionaries to get in and out to these communities. And since they are so isolated, it's pretty obvious, you know, when you live in Arctic conditions and uh, you're kind of set apart from others, it's such a wonderful thing that our mission teams and our missionaries can go and to serve and to bring the light of Christ and the gospel and also the warmth of God's love to the people that we serve. So it's been a true blessing to be a part of it and uh, would welcome anybody that's interested to come join us up north sometime. 
You know, it's very hard for us to understand because when I was on Thy Strong Word here on KFUO, I had a pastor who was in Juneau, um, Alaska, and he was just describing to me that there's no way to get in or out by car. It's only by plane or by water. And it's just hard to fathom that in Minnesota. And so I'm, I'm assuming that's a similar reality of the, the groups that you work that you work with. Is it, am I correct? Yeah. So if anybody's ever seen the movie or the TV show about the ice road truckers, where the only way that they can get supplies into these little villages and reserves is by a semi truck going across frozen lakes. That's it. That's where we go. Uh, so either you have to wait uh, till the water is frozen enough to take a vehicle over it, or you need a, a plane to get to the landing strip there to get in and out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're talking about remote, isolated uh, communities. And again, they're just so excited when somebody makes that huge effort to go up and to be with them and to share the gospel. So it's tough living conditions um, to be to be up there, but um, it's just a joy there are such wonderful people, and they're just so extremely welcoming when visitors do make that big trek up. It does give a new meaning to ministry at presence, because they know how hard you had to work <laughs> in order to get there. So that's, well, the Lord, I encourage you, our listeners, to continue to pray for LAMP and also to support it um, financially, prayerfully, and maybe even get your hands dirty with their work. So but Pastor, today we are here to study the small catechism on section four, Christian questions with their answers. And Pastor, I want to start this way. Um, for, for us and for you, our listeners, this is we're using the Luther Small Catechism. I, in particular, using the 2017 version, Luther Small Catechism with explanation. Our mind is on page 37. And as we look at this, there's a number of asterisks that, that happen as we look at this. And the first one in the small catechism, and the first one I want to highlight here on page 37, is it, it says that uh, Christian questions with their answers prepared by Dr. Martin Luther for those who intend to go to the sacrament. Now, when you look in the top, it has an asterisk in the bottom. It says the Christian questions with their answers, designating Luther as the author, first appeared in an edition of the Small Catechism in 1551. Now, I, you know, I try to look up some of the information on that. And I, you know, Pastor, we didn't talk about this. Did you, did you look up anything on that? I didn't find any information besides Luther wrote it and they kind of found it later and, and here it was. So any thoughts? No, just that I've always taken their word for it, that he wrote it and he included <laughs> it. And for me, it was a really good tool when I was in the parish to work with our compromands. Uh, to give a clear confession of their faith before they took the Lord's Supper and, you know, really grasped what it was that they were about to receive. So I, I did find them to be a really helpful tool. And, you know, like you said, it's not just for them. It's, it's good for each of us to, to go through this process of examination. Now, let me ask you this first. Is, okay, all right, so um, why is it so important to ask these kind of questions, which are outstanding questions for us, just as Christians, I would say. But why is it important that we have these kind of questions before we partake of the Lord's Supper? Yeah, I mean, Scripture is very clear. Um, as we approach the Lord's Supper, we are going to the Holy of Holies and the real presence of God himself, just like the high priest did in the temple. And, you know, that's no small thing that we should take lightly. So I think it is important when St. Paul says that we should first examine ourselves to recognize what it is we're about to receive, why we so desperately need it uh, when we live in the world that we live in, 
and to understand uh, our own place before God as we go to approach him. I think all those things are kind of vital to us to receive it properly and to truly grasp just how amazing this is as a gift from God. As Dr. Just says in his book, you know, Heaven on Earth, I mean, it really is this understanding of God is bringing his heaven, all the gifts of heaven right here on earth. And that's serious business throughout scripture. Whenever in the presence of God, this was not a moment of, you know, you know, do I really need to do this? Or is, it, is this really that special? No, it was a time of sacredness and a time of reverence and a time of let's make sure that we're <laughs> in the right place with our Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, so pastor, also, I want to go to the back, which would be page 40. Um, in my catechism, it has a note at the very end, which I want to kind of start with as okay. we look at this. At the very end, it has a note and it says, these questions and answers are no child's play, exactly how you described it, but are drawn up with a great earnestness and purpose by the venerable and devout Dr. Luther for both young and old. Let each one pay attention and consider it in a serious manner. For St. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. So, Pastor, what would you tell somebody? Because right now, I can be a little bit scared to go to the Lord's Supper. How would you encourage them as we look at this to make sure that we're keeping everything in the in the in the in the, the correct light? For sure. I mean, it's a both and. Obviously, uh, the supper is only for those who are sinners. Christ came only to save sinners, and so this this feast, this meal, this forgiveness is for you. That's exactly what it is. But on the other hand, yeah, I guess, you know, as it says, you can't fool God. If I go before the Lord's Supper with a grudge and hatred towards my brother or an unconfessed, unrepented sin, um, others can't read into my heart. But when I approach the altar, God most certainly can. And so I guess that's that's what's important here. And it talks about the serious matter and God not being mocked is that when you approach the altar, it's not like you can hide anything from God. He knows all. And if you're there to repent and be forgiven and receive that great gift of salvation through the supper, you know, it's it's for you. But you can't you can't fool God otherwise if you don't believe what it is. Oh, I'm into that. So this is why this is important. Um, and we don't want it, to. It's such a unique uh, dynamic for all of us is that you want to run to the altar, literally run to the altar, but also you have to always realize what it is. And that's what I, I encourage our listeners to keep in mind as we go forward with this is one, it's all gift. Two, we are not worthy to receive it. But three, um, there's always more to learn. So let's start learning. Uh, today, like, like I said, we're on page 37. As it says in the bold, prepared by Dr. Martin Luther for those who intend to go to the sacrament. It reads, after confession and instruction in the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Sacraments of Baptism and the Lord's Supper, the pastor may ask, or Christians may ask themselves, these questions. I'll go through the first three. Number one, do you believe that you are a sinner? The answer is, yes, I believe it. I am a sinner. Number two, how do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. And number three, are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I am sorry that I have sinned against God. So it, it's very personal from the beginning, Pastor. How would you break down those questions? Yeah, I mean, first of all, obviously, any of us would bristle and not be comfortable having to admit that we are sinful by uh, and unclean by nature. And so 
we we must just look at the reality of things that we truly are sinners and that's why we need the supper and if uh, you're not sure how it is that you're a sinner all you have to do is look to the ten commandments and you know look as christ is the example of the only one who has kept these laws completely and perfectly to realize that i have sinned i have broken commandments and you know if you break one you've you've broken them all and so all i have to do is look to god's perfect law to realize that i've sinned against him and against my neighbor and then again the idea of being sorry for your sins that is where again god can't be mocked if if you're not sorry for your sins and you don't really want to receive forgiveness that's where you're going to bump into uh trouble with this sacrament you know it's about repenting and wanting forgiveness and anybody that looks at the Ten Commandments and realizes just how uh, short we've fallen of God's perfect law, you know, it's pretty obvious that we truly need to suffer for for forgiveness and thank God for him giving us that. Now, it can be a little comfortable for people because Luther gives you the answers. You know, this isn't like straight from the heart <laughs> kind of language, you know. Sure. Um, why is it important in your thoughts, your pastor, is that he does give us the answers because, well, that's not very genuine. How would you respond? Because it's a clear confession. Um, it's a, a clear confession of what we believe uh, about ourselves, about who God is, about God's promises for us. You're making a clear confession before you approach the altar. There's, you know, no no wiggle room here. It's painfully obvious, um, you know, unless I am a complete Pharisee and phony. Uh, to try to say that, uh, you know, I'm perfect and I don't really need this uh, meal that God gives me for forgiveness. But instead, uh, Luther lays out for me a very clear confession of my position before God, his graciousness and unconditional love that uh, knows no bounds for me as a sinner. And then just what an amazing gift it truly is when I confess what I, uh, you know, I'm reading through with these questions and answers. And it's so clear, too, because um, it's much like when we confess the creed, for example, that that's definitely not from the heart. You know, that, that's not straight from the heart. But it does tell us exactly what we believe. And and there it forms us. It shapes us. It helps us understand. And it sometimes forces us. I don't know how to say it correctly to say words that we would not naturally say because that's actually what is true, even if we're not 100% sure of it. So for an eighth grader, like when I was in eighth grade, or actually my son just confirmed his faith last month, that when he stands up and I stood up and said, I believe that I'm a sinner, there's probably part of my heart that says, well, I'm not so sure. You know, <laughs> Or I mean, compare yourself okay. to somebody else that, well, at least, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's comparative justification. It's not <laughs> biblical justification, by the way. Um, and as we look at this, and it's like, well, how do you know the Ten Commandments? And that just pushes us straight back to the Ten Commandments to, 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 to shape our hearts again, in case you're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and then it brings us to that real reality for each one of us. Are you actually sorry for this? And although we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole to find genuine, you know, are you actually genuine? It is good for us to say, you know what, am I really repentant over this? Which is a very biblical thing throughout scripture, especially as we got over Lent, you know, back in before uh, Easter is okay. It's good for us to be reminded of that. So pastor, tell us about sorry for, for your sins and, and how do you find a good balance on that? So people aren't led to complete despair, but yet, we are looking at our sins and, and needing God's grace. 
Yeah. I mean, again, this is a matter of faith. This is not from myself. This is God has given me a conscience. Um, God has given me faith. God has given me his law. And so that, that, like you said, it's not just something that I drum up within myself, but God has clearly uh, shown me through his 10 commandments, you know, and I can look at my own, you know, uh, you're sick, you know, that says something, Brady, that you're ill, um, you know, that you're a fallen <laughs> human being, you know, so there, <laughs> it's just reality. And um, again, God's given us these 10 commandments and sure enough, if you could keep them perfectly, you could just go right on to heaven, but just by the very fact that you're ill or my hair is falling out, you know, these are all signs that, yes, I am truly by nature sinful. And again, it's only by faith then that I can confess that, that I can repent of that. You know, God gives me the great gift of repentance to, you know, have contrition for what I have done wrong. When I have hurt my neighbor, I have not loved them as I should have. When I have not loved God with my whole heart, but had fear and trepidation about, you know, you know, worldly things and um, all those things that I know that I've, I've done wrong, that is not from myself. God has put that on my heart. He has given me a conscience and he's given me in stone his commandments to realize that, you know, I, I have not kept those commandments. And it's only by faith that I can then truly be sorry for my sins. Well, let's keep moving forward because we have a lot of questions, actually, to get through today. <laughs> Um, but number four, what have you deserved from God because of your sins? His wrath and displeasure, temporal death, and eternal damnation. Now, he references here Romans chapter 6. And it's important, and I really want to make sure we read these, because it is important that we just don't quote passages. But, you know, these passages really do hit us between the eyes. So Romans six twenty one and 23 read as such. But what fruit were you getting, excuse me, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of the, those things is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So uh, we deserve wrath and, and displeasure and punishment. What are your thoughts? Yes, uh, outside of perfection, uh, the only way to heaven is you know we look to god he is perfect and he is holy and so that's all it takes is one sin to keep me from being in his perfect holy presence but again thanks be to god that even though i don't deserve uh his forgiveness in heaven instead of receiving what i do deserve he is just and he accepts christ's sacrifice for me so Yes, it's, it's hard for us to hear that this is what we have deserved uh, by what we have done and not done. And we have earned nothing but God's uh, wrath against our sin. And yet that's where we take such comfort in the knowledge that God then has done everything for us, even though he is not fair and gives me what I really deserve. But instead, he gives me his son. Well, and I like how this connects to Galatians 2, where he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's just, an, just a reminder as I read this, is if we don't see the damnation that we deserve, and then then why did Jesus die? Mm -hmm. You know, what what purpose did it have? And if you don't, don't have that, then the Lord's Supper is just kind of a nice meal to have for 
for kind of fun or, or, or in some senses just for some kind of obedience sake, as opposed to I need it because if Christ did not die for me, then he died, you know, for my sins and I, and I deserve wrath and, and, and displeasure. Then, then he died for no purpose. And this supper has no meaning to it. And, and, and as we look at this. Yeah. And obviously the Passover meal is the perfect example of that, you know, mm. as death was approaching. And again, that's what we all have deserved. It, it's, it wasn't anything that the Israelites had done. It was simply that by faith, the blood on the door saved them and death passed, passed over. So the wage of mm. sin is death for all, um, but only by faith uh, and believing the promise that God made uh, death passed by. Awesome. Awesome. That'd be a whole nother study of the Passover and its connections. <laughs> sure. I love it. I sure. love it. Next time, next time we have Dr. Shavon, we'll do that. Number five, next page. Do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to stop there before we get to the Godhead is, is because um, um, one, one of my friends uh, does a lot of ministry in California with uh, college students. And as he goes there and, and he gets the conversations, he pulls out a box and says, you know, religions for the week and has great conversations with college students. And a lot of times he'll get to that point where he says, how do you know that you'll be saved? Or how do you know you're going to heaven? And, and do you think you go to heaven is one of the questions he asked. And a lot of times they'll say, well, I hope so. Mm -hmm. And that's even the Christian people. That's like, that's the best hope they have. And I love this where he says, do you hope to be saved? He says, yeah, I hope so. I mean, basically that's what number five says in American language. But number six, then whom do you trust in my dear Lord Jesus Christ? I think that's important. Where does the hope come? Other thoughts you have? Yeah, I mean, kind of being the mission guy for Synod and now being with the mission organization, you see it all the time when you're witnessing to others. When people are living in prosperity and things are going great, and you go up to them and you start talking about these things, you know, they might look at you funny. Like, they're yeah. not thinking about being saved. They're living the life right now, and they're enjoying everything. But then if you press them hard enough, you know, but, but you are going to die, and what do you think about after your death is going to happen and you know what are you going to trust in you know if there truly is a heaven and a hell and you know the vast majority will tell you well i think i'm a good person you know so they don't really have that desire for salvation they don't see the desperate need for it and then certainly when you press them on where are you going to find your salvation they really just kind of look to themselves is that going you know i think i did enough good in this life that if God is real, then he'll let me into his heaven. And that's where you really have to teach and preach the law and the gospel so they understand. As the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood mm. and righteousness. Yep. Let's keep moving on. So it could easily, and this is, I think this is a good witnessing tool also, Pastor, yep. because you look at just how this breaks it down. It's good for us to reflect on when someone has a question mm -hmm. and to speak about the hope that we all have, First Peter. So number seven. Who is Christ, the Son of God, true God, and man? Number eight, how many gods are there? Only one, but there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number nine, what has Christ done for you that you trust in him? He died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. I'll stop there for now because he breaks down, okay, I mean, it's a perfect 
uh, kind of teaching mode. And I know you and your, your bride are teachers by heart, um, at heart and everything you do. So it just breaks it down. It's like, okay, where's your hope? You have hope. Yes, I have hope. Where's your hope in Christ? Well then who is Christ? And he breaks it down so simply. You want to expand on that? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's very creedal, obviously, you know, it's, it's very confession based on, I am now professing my faith that I believe that, uh, Jesus needed to be truly the Son of God to save me. That God, He could not save me if He wasn't fully God, perfect in every way, holy, mm. uh, you know, the same substance as the Father. But He had to be man. That's where everything is so different than any other world religion. God had to be man in our own weakness and in our own flesh. For Him to be able to bear my sin, for Him to be able to be perfectly obedient, and to die on the cross, that can only happen if God comes to us. And rather than us constantly trying to find our way up to God, God came to us as a man. So what a beautiful confession. And it's so important because as you start to talk about the Lord's Supper, you're going to get into that Christology. It's saying a whole lot about Jesus and why he is of this earth and of this flesh. And so it's important that we understand who the Trinity is and specifically what the work of Christ is and why it's so important for us to have the Son of God uh, die for us, shed his blood for us. That's the only way that we can have forgiveness then. And I love exactly what you're saying, is that it affirms everything that we already confess, and it it just, it, it really is written, it's written in the you know 1520s, but it is so relevant today because well, who is this Christ? Okay, let me tell you. Well, what about God? And you're like, oh, we have a triune God. And what has he done? Well, he's died for your sins. And, you know, there's different ways for us to continually look at that. But the exciting part is when we have this grounding, we are able to engage people of all different stripes and all different places, all different cultures or different parts of the world, as you do, um, with this understanding of we all need help. And to be able to speak about it in terms that make sense. And so he really breaks this down in a wonderful way to prepare all of us, not only to come forward, but to live out our Christian vocation every single day. Pastor, first nine questions. Do you have anything else you want to share? No, I um, just look forward to, to talking more about who God is and the importance of our our understanding of how Christ can be present in his supper. Draw, oh. Drawn from understanding the, the mystery of the Trinity. I love it. Well, we'll keep plowing through, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Christian questions and their answers from the small catechism, and we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. And faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying the Christian questions with their answers from Luther Small Catechism with Pastor Steve Shave of Lamp Ministry in Canada and also in the United States. Pastor, we've gone through the first nine questions, which really just brings us back to ourselves, 
our need for God and our need for the Christ and what he has done for us, which number nine says so beautifully. He died for me and shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. So even to this point, we've not once mentioned anything about bread, wine, and with an under, real presence, or any of those things. It is completely on us and then towards God. And now we get even more so into the understanding of God. So we'll do uh, 10 and 11. Did the Father also die for you? He did not. The Father is God only, as is the Holy Spirit. But the Son is both true God and true man. He died for me and shed his blood for me. Number 11, how do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, from the words instituting the sacrament, and by his body and blood given for me as a pledge in the sacrament. Pastor, I always found number 10 to be an interesting addition into this. And I wish I knew more context, but any any theories on, he's like, oh, did the father die also? And you're kind of like, uh, no, but but it is, a, maybe tell me more. What, why do you think that's an important question as we look at ver- number 10 and 11 or all these questions? Yeah, I mean, it is funny. You would think this is more of a, one of those postmodern things where some philosopher said, God is dead, you know, and you're like, oh, right, God is dead. But um, to me, it's more identifying for those who are confessing what they believe and preparing themselves to come to the altar is to have a true understanding of who God is, that God is separate three persons. Um, These are different activities that the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, you know, carry out for us. But that the important part of uh, understanding also who Christ is is that he is the son, um, but he's both true man and true God. And apart from that, you know, his work on the cross would not be salvific, nor would we be able to receive him uh, for the forgiveness of sins and his supper. And so we know this because that's what the gospel tells us. You know, when Jesus says uh, the words of institution for the sacrament, you know, he says, this, this is my body, this is my blood. You know, he's saying mine, this is my my body, my blood, he is the incarnate. And so our understanding of the incarnation is extremely important for us to understand uh, the sacraments and how God is present for us in these sacraments. But it's important for us to understand too that the Trinity truly is three persons, one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, all are um, persons in the Trinity and the activities are different. Uh, but there's a reason that we need to understand that as we approach the altar to know that this is Christ's body, this is Christ's blood given for us. It reminds me of why it's important even to ask these questions. Because when, for example, if you're in confirmation or or you, let's just say your your children or grandchildren go to a public school, I know for me, there are a lot of times you just didn't ask. My dad's a pastor and and so sometimes you just never ask. It came in your mind. You're like, eh, people are going to think I'm, I'm ridiculous for asking these questions. So Luther is almost like, okay, I know they're thinking this, so I'm going to ask it. You know, here it is. Because there's legitimately um, scholarship out there that would say, oh, well, you know, um, Jesus died, but so did the Father. And you're like, well, where did that come from? What theory? And then they might have some philosophical understanding of everything. And then they would say, well, how do you believe it? Well, it's because it's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's just good for us to be able to say, okay, what is our authority? And then stop talking. And Luther just does that beautifully throughout, throughout everything. 
is it in the Bible or is it not? And if you're going to make up stuff outside the Bible, well, that's fine. You can do that. But it's not authoritative, and that's not who we are as Christian people. So that's I think this is also a good apologetic questions for us to continually ask as well. But we need to keep moving here, Pastor. Sure. Um, verse 12, now we get to the Lord's Supper. What are the words of institution? Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Number 13. Do you believe then that the true body and blood of Christ are in the sacrament? Yes, I believe it. Verse number 14. What convinces you to believe this? The word of Christ. Take, eat, this is my body, drink of it, all of you, this is my blood. Pastor, I was thinking about this as my study, that I had a funeral a few months ago of a beloved saint who was 91 years old, who had gone to church his whole life, barely ever missed. And I just think about how often in his life <clears throat> that he heard the words of institution. And basically, when he went forward, he was telling the world, and he was confessing, I believe it. Mm -hmm. And why? Because that's what Jesus says. I mean, it just it just brings us back to that simplicity of faith, but the power that, that there is in God's word. Your thoughts, 12 through 14. Yeah, and to tie into that, this really does speak quite a bit to when Jesus asks us the question. And again, that's why this is so good that it's confessing your faith. Jesus asks the question, who do you say I am? And so your answer is, you are the incarnation. I believe that there is a reason why God the Father has worked through earthly, tangible stuff, right? He's worked through bread. He's worked through water. He was there in the fiery bush. You know, God is not up there. God is here with us. And Jesus is the incarnation. And so, you know, to get in, again, philosophy or you know, something systematic to say, well, the finite God can't possibly be in this. You know, I'm sorry, this infinite God can't possibly be in this finite thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when when Jesus physically was resurrected and passes through a door, you know, we understand that this is this is really God. You know, all all of the attributes of God are there, but also that this is the incarnation of God. And there is a reason why God wants to attach his word and his promises to these physical things that I can touch and I can smell it, I can see it. You know, he wants me to use all of my senses to know my sins are forgiven. And so I'm going to take Jesus at his word that when he says, take, eat, this is my body, drink of it, all of you, this is my blood. He wants me to have all of my senses to know and to believe that this is for me. Well, and that's what's, it really is that simple and how often we need to just make it that simple that, that he's given us this gift, take and eat, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it's just a, a great reminder for all of us as we, as we come forward, the simplicity of it all, where they said, do you believe that the true body and blood in the sacrament and the simple words? Yes, I believe it. All and, right. Well, and let's, simple, let's simple means, I mean, and too, like think about right. it, the, Everybody has access to bread and water and to the wine. 
Um, God didn't make some super elaborate, you know, only for a certain elect, uh, you know, elite few. He wants this for everyone. And so that's the beauty of this also is that, you know, here he gives it to us in these simple means. He wants us to have these means of his grace that anyone has access to and can receive. Oh, that's interesting because he didn't make it like, okay, now you have to put some kind of big metal pieces together and <laughs> weld them together in order to have God's forgiveness. Yeah, it literally is. Um, anybody can get unleavened bread and anyone can get some wine yeah. and, and the Lord provides that. What a what a gift. I never thought of that before. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we are on number 15. What should we do when we eat his body and drink his blood? And in what way receive his pledge? And in this way, excuse me, receive his pledge. We should remember and proclaim his death and the shedding of his blood as he taught us. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Number 16. Why should we remember and proclaim his death? First, so that we may learn to believe that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and man, could do that. Second, so we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. Third, so we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him be saved. Pastor, this is, I mean, he breaks this down once again, very, very thoroughly, where he said we should remember and proclaim his death and the shedding of his blood. Now, we tend to be a little bit scared of this because when we talk about remembrance, we're a little bit afraid that people are like, oh, they're not really focusing on it being the body and blood. But also he says this, do this in remembrance of me. How do we do that appropriately? And can you break down even more why it's important that we do remember? Uh, yeah. And I mean, even when you read throughout Scripture, whenever God remembers something with his people, it wasn't just like he thought of them mentally. You know, when God remembered his people, he'd set them free from exile. You know, um, there was an action that was happening, an activity. And so even our own remembrance, you know, uh, and again, if you went back to the Passover, you know, I truly believe. You know, even though it's remembrance, I am receiving the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So it's not just kind of remembering this past event, but it's the activity that it, I am now participating in that as well. So not only remembering mentally, but actually participating uh, in his death and in the shedding of his blood as well through receiving the supper. Well, and I found it interesting that he keeps bringing it back. You know, that, okay, this is what it is. No creature could make satisfaction mm -hmm. for our sins. Goes back to the Old Testament. Um, and I found it interesting, too, is that you think about the different standards he had. If you if you have a, a lamb, use a lamb. If you don't, then get some turtle doves. Or, you know, he had all these distinctions of what they could need. And then, like you said, now it's even more simple with just bread and wine. That's all you need. And then he also brings in this that we may be learned to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. I mean, this is, you know, there's a part of me that's like, come on, just get over that. You know, let's get, let's get to the happy clappy stuff, but he keeps bringing it back. Why is that important pastor? What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, like you said, you would have to keep sacrificing lambs forever to try to make atonement rather <laughs> than true. to understand like, Oh, all those are leading up to the promise of it's going to happen once and for all. And, forever and it's when the lamb of god uh is sacrificed for our sins so that's important the thing about being horrified too um i mean yeah obviously 
being horrified does not sound like a good thing by any means. But I think, you know, even in the Reformation, there, you know, the understanding of, of by grace alone is so radical by faith alone, you know, um, no act, no um, works on our own to do this. And so I think they probably would push back and say, well, isn't that just going to lead to you thinking that you can just sin all you want and God's just going to mm. forgive it and it's not going to be any big deal? Not at all. Not at all. I cannot, I cannot even read about Good Friday without being completely broken. My understanding of the depths of God's love for me, just how far I have fallen and I have sinned against my father. But then when I hear this good news of Good Friday, what Jesus did for me, I can never look loosely at my sins. I can never laugh them off. I can never say, well, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm just going to go receive forgiveness. So I'm just going to keep on sinning. Every time I think about the cost, every time it horrifies me. But at the same time, even though I'm horrified by my sins, oh man, that, that joy and that comfort that Luther talks about, and knowing it's Christ alone, it's only by faith. It was not about what I've done and not done. God did it all for me, and Jesus did it all for me on his cross. So I am horrified when I look at the cost, but oh man, what joy and comfort it gives me to know it's all done by God for me. It, it, it's just beautiful. I almost said a Baptist amen in the middle of all of that. Thank you. <laughs> because it is that joy and comfort in Christ alone um, I think my father said it said it once is that the older I get, the more I realize the depth of God's grace for me. Mm -hmm. And he said, and also I realize how undeserved I am. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's such a wonderful thing that word joy and comfort. And for you, our listeners, I pray that you find and see that there's that joy and comfort. First of all, when we proclaim his death. And also when you receive the body and blood of Christ. So it, it continues on. Um, Luther is always teaching in this. And that's why it's like, I love this because it's not like a little bulletin blurb. <laughs> is it is totally like, um, um, for me, it's a reminder for me to do this with my family. Um, maybe on a Saturday night or something that you do on Sunday morning. To have that opportunity to go through these kind of questions. Just to recenter all of us. So 17, it brings us back to Christ again. What motivated Christ to die and make full payment for your sins? His great love for his father and for me and other sinners, as it is written in John 14, Romans 5, Galatians 2, and Ephesians 5. Now, all of those passages are something that um, I encourage you, our listeners, to read. I mean, crazy enough, he doesn't give the exact verses, but it will say this, that Ephesians 5, when it talks about marriage, he speaks about how this reflects the love of God for his church, um, Christ and his church. And that's really what motivated him. It was always about love um, um, for you and for the world. John 3 could be in that for God so loved the world. And so it is something that brings us back to his motivation, which motivates then us to go and receive the sacrament. First, uh, number 17, any other thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean... Just to consider God's uh, love for us through his son, but Jesus is obedient and loving to his father perfectly. But then again, it was hard for us to talk so much about how we are sinful. Obviously, we bristle against that. You know, it's not easy to hear that. 
But what great news it is that while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ came for our salvation. He loves us even though we are sinful. And that love is unconditional, unmerited. And so, yeah, that's that's the kind of agape love that we're talking about here for us. Like I said, I encourage you listeners to uh, read these passages from John 14, Romans 5, Galatians 2, and Ephesians 5 to even understand even more about the depth of our Lord's love and motivation to save us. Number 18, now it gets real personal. Finally, why do you wish to go to the sacrament? You know, can you imagine when you were in eighth grade? Um, because I'm done with confirmation. Um, <laughs> but this is for the eighth grader and for us. That I may learn to believe that Christ, out of great love, died for my sin. And also learn from him to love God and my neighbor. There's, there's a few unique dynamics to this. And I want you to start, Pastor. What, what do you find unique about what he just wrote about why do you even want to do this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because you're talking about the compromands for the first time. And, yeah, I, I mean, I think there are some compromands that go up to communion and expect this huge feeling and the fireworks are going to go off. And, you know, but mm. that's that's not the stuff of faith. The stuff of faith is the simple means doing this extraordinary thing that we can't even begin to imagine. And so, you know, when Luther says, I may learn to believe, Right. That's really what we're talking about is that this is this is the depth of his love for me, that he would die for my sin. Um, and so that's that's that matter of faith that I take communion, believing this amazing, most significant thing. I mean, there's nothing more important than to receive God's love and forgiveness. And it's just hard for our brain to wrap around the fact that it could happen through such simple means. And then also. Um, and it talks about we're learning from him to love God, love my neighbor. I think we do miss that sometimes, Brady. You know, yeah, and yeah. why why do I take communion? Because when I when I go up to that altar with my brother and my sister, you know, I share in everything. You know, whatever whatever you're suffering with right now, whatever you grieve, whatever you mourn, I carry that. I carry it with you side by side as we come shoulder to shoulder at the altar. Whatever joy. You have, I, I celebrate with you and every, every victory, every joy that you've had. That, that is what communion does too. That's the kind of love for our neighbor we're talking about. I can't do anything but love my neighbor and help those who are in need when I understand what I have received from God and his grace in the sacrament and what that means to me to be in communion with others. But that's all what we do learn and why I do wish to go to the sacrament is to be with my neighbor uh, in communion and to be with God in communion. It's interesting too, as you, as you see that, that as we receive the Lord's supper, he is, um, by the Holy spirit, strengthening us to go and love him and to love the neighbor. And, and times you will see that in action. Um, just this past Sunday, I was at a congregation. That's one of my new jobs and I'm visiting different congregations. And there was an older lady that was coming forward with two people, one person on one side, one person on the other side, literally holding her up so that she could come forward to receive the Lord's Supper. And and she had the biggest smile I've ever seen in my life. I mean, just so much joy to receive the body and blood of Christ. And when she left the service, 
She had this huge smile and I shook her hand at the end and she just was like, it's so joyous to be here. And I don't know. I don't, she didn't know me from Adam really. I mean, you know, as a pastor, but it was so much joy. So you see that in action that as the Lord lifts us up and carries us, so do people that surround us. And Lord, may we do that after we receive the Lord's Supper to say, hey, the Lord has served me, therefore I go and serve my neighbor. Pastor, you have any any thoughts on that or experiences similar? Well, I mean, I'll say I have seen that this is really a miraculous thing. It's nothing short of it. I, I remember one time I visited somebody that was in the hospital. Their whole family had driven from all over the country to be with her, um, you know, and I brought her the sacrament and she couldn't remember her kids being there. She couldn't remember all the things that had gone on. But the one thing that she remembered was that Pastor Shave brought her communion. Mm-hmm. I mean, so to, to not understand, like, th- this is not just bread and wine, folks. This is like, you know, God presence and forgiveness and light and salvation. Um, that, that definitely stuck with me uh, just to really grasp that this truly is something uh, special. And it is God at work. And so it kind of brings down the question of there's so much joy. Um, should we do this frequently? Number 19. Mm-hmm. What should admonish and encourage a Christian to receive the sacrament frequently? First, both the command and the promise of Christ the Lord. Second, his own pressing need, because of which the command, encouragement, and promise are given. So it once again, Luther's asked these great questions that we're all, we're all thinking, but we don't necessarily ask. And it's like, why should you take this often? Why should you do this often? And what does he tell us? Well, and it is the, the both and it is a command, you know, God, (laughs) God does command things for our good. Right. I mean, he wants the best for us. And so he gives us his commands, not to, you know, uh, for any other reason that he loves us. And so he does tell us to come uh, to the Lord's Supper, to, to eat and to drink. Um, but also, when you think about the promise of Christ, uh, you know, we see all these big figures in the Bible, like Noah and Abraham, and they get these massive promises to God that you're going to miraculously have a child, you're going to walk through the water, you're going to step on your enemies as you pass through into the promised land. I mean, all these, like, huge promises. Guess what? The promise that Christ has given you and the Lord's Supper is greater than them all. Forgiveness, life, salvation, not just a physical promised land to dwell in, but heaven itself. That's what you're promised when you receive the Lord's Supper. So, yes, he commands it, but man, when you really think about the promises that are there for you, why would you not come running to receive that? What a precious gift. And we need it. You know, we are fallen. We are living in a world of suffering. And we desperately need uh, God to give us what's promised in the Lord's Supper. And that's and that's something where it is simple as this, where you're like, um, why do it frequently? Well, one, Jesus says so. You know, and that's sometimes we just need to hear that. Like, oh, okay, all right, that's good. But then also, what what greater gift to receive than this? Right. You know, and for us to remember that 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 command, but also the gift, command and the gift as we go through. Now, we have about five minutes left, so I want to make sure we get through the rest and and wrap up our time. Number 20, but what should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? To such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, 
he should touch his body to see if he still has flesh and blood. Then he should believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Second, he should look around and see whether he is still in the world. And remember that there, that there will be no lack of sin and trouble, as the scriptures say in John 15, 16, and 1 John 2 and chapter 5. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him, who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace, within or without, as the scriptures picture him, in John 8 and 16, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, and 2 Timothy chapter 2. So this is very practical advice. Touch your body and what do you see? Look out in the world and what do you see? And the devil. What else? What do you have for us? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yes, I, I'm aging. I ache. You know, uh, I understand. You know, I, I see my parents aging. You know, these are all signs that we, we are sinful and we are dying. And we desperately need this forgiveness uh, for life and salvation. And that's where our encouragement comes and. Like you said, we we just come running to that to receive it. And then also, I live in the world. I'm going to be constantly surrounded by temptation. So not only do I need my strength faith in, but what is going to be my shield against the world when it comes at me with every flaming arrow it has? You know, God promises again, and this supper, I will strengthen your faith. I will shield you and give you the strength against uh, temptation. And then most especially is that clever, clever, devil you know if we think we're going to take the devil on you know you and i both wrestle man and uh you know we can't take on the devil this this is not flesh and blood and we don't stand a chance against him our only chance uh when we're talking about going against the devil is by again god's supernatural means that he gives to us through uh receiving the body and blood of christ that we can have any peace uh, and that we can have any joy and love, uh, all of that comes from from God so that we can, uh, again, be able to w- live in a world filled with temptation and the devil who is constantly trying to destroy us in any way that he can. He wants to draw us away from Christ. He wants to draw us away from the Lord's Supper. He, he, the last thing the devil wants is for all the saints and angels to rejoice because what happens every time one single sinner is forgiven it is a huge massive celebration taking on in heaven so of course he doesn't want you to come to the lord's supper because every time you do each and every one of us who are receiving it are causing this great you know eruption of joy and celebration in heaven but god says i want you to receive these these gifts and i want you to be able to live in this world and to not be um, taken by the devil but instead to know that you're mine and there's no better way to know that you belong to christ you're his uh, the lamb of the shepherd than to receive the lord's supper pastor we have about a minute left in our time how would you um uh just kind of summarize the questions from dr martin luther and encourage our listeners in christ as we look at section four of the small catechism yeah, I really encourage you to to consider this not only just as a another refresher for the confession, you know, what do we truly believe? What do we think is happening? But just to understand the depth of God's love for you, why he wants you to understand, uh, you know, our place, uh, our, our fallenness, but then the joy and the comfort. He, he wants us to think through these things and to examine ourselves so that we can come to the supper with just nothing but 
joy. I mean, nobody should walk away from the altar dour face. You should have so much joy on your face to know you just received life and salvation and the simple of this means and that you are now in communion, uh, full, holy communion with God and your neighbor. The Reverend Dr. Steve Shave of Luther, Lutheran Association of Missionaries and Pilots in Canada and the United States. Pastor Shave, thank you for your faithful teaching on Coghorn Batters. Thank you, Pastor Fernand. I'm, I'm your host, Pastor Brady Fenner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the Paul of